Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, how awesome you are. We bless you. You are for us. When we are against our own selves, yet you are for us. And thank you for your blessing. And now, Lord, we pray and ask for your blessing. On this time, as we gather here, we pray for your blessing on those who cannot join with us. We pray for, Lord, those who are hurting today. Lord, we pray the blessing of your presence upon our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. For those of our countrymen that are there. And Lord, we pray for the families of the service personnel that were killed. We pray for the Naus family here in our own community. Lord, we pray for those who are in fear in the Gulf Coast this morning, Louisiana, those regions. Our friends and brothers and sisters in Middle Tennessee. Oh, Lord God, we pray and ask for your blessing. Lord, will you bless them and keep them? Will make your face to shine upon them? Will you be gracious to them? Lord, will you lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace? And oh, Lord, may you pour this blessing upon us as we are a needy people before an all-sufficient and gracious God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We'll welcome all of you this morning. Join those of you joining us online in the hub. So grateful for everyone that's come to join worship today. Thankful for passage that's been read. I'm going to ask you to turn there, Luke 18, as we continue our journey through this great, great gospel that the Lord has shared with us by his inspiration through the pen of the beloved physician, Luke. So let's turn there. <clears throat> several years ago, <clears throat> several years ago, our family went on vacation and uh, got everybody, packed up everything in the van. We we're pulling away. My wife said, you got everything locked up, right? I said, absolutely. We went away all week, had a vacation. It was great. Came back. You know how it is. Raise that garage door if you have that. And you just, you know, you're just uh, stupid with uh, fatigue and load things. And I did that. And then I thought, well, I need to go out and check the mail. So I went out to the mailbox and uh, got the mail. Came back by way of the front door of our house. It was locked. Had a very nice brass key, though, sticking out of it, where <laughs> I had locked things up, yes. <laughs> Left the key in the lock. I didn't say anything about that. Took some things back to 
uh, office study that I had at the house at that time. And uh, we had taken a few documents with us uh, when we traveled and keep those in a safe place. So I took those over to that, you know, small fireproof box that we keep there, keep all the important documents there. And it was locked. Had a nice key in that as well. <laughs> are, are you detecting a pattern here? A little more welcoming than I want our home to be. You know, want to say make yourself at home, but not quite like that. I'm sure I probably won't be asked to watch over your homes while you're gone. I thought of that this week because these parables that the Lord is giving us in the Gospel of Luke, they, they truly are treasures. They are treasures. They're family treasures. The Lord shared parables, he said, so that those who believe, that is, his family members, might understand them, but those who do not believe would not be able to understand them. So parables are really sort of family treasures. Sometimes they're a little challenging to interpret, understand exactly what they mean, but isn't it nice that this time in this parable, so wonderful, that Jesus leaves the key in the door. He's put the key right into the lock of this precious parable. And it is a message to us about the challenge to keep on praying. Keep on praying. And Jesus gives us the key to this story and this challenge about praying. Verse 1, notice, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect. So he's saying, this is the key. It's right here. I'll unlock this for you. Here is a parable, a story, to help people to know that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Notice what he placed together. People ought always to pray and not lose heart. So this is a challenge from Jesus of what we ought to do, but now notice the challenge comes in a context. Do you notice the context? Remember, look back at chapter 17. We looked at that passage last week, verses 20 to 32. What did Jesus instruct us about? He talked about the kingdom, the kingdom that is in our midst, the kingdom that is in our lives, the kingdom which is the church. And then he also promised the king's coming back. Isn't that great? The king is going to return. But Jesus knew his return would not be soon. His disciples thought, we clearly understand, even after his resurrection, that maybe now he's going to establish kingdom. And then when he departed, evidently they thought that he's coming back very soon. Jesus understood it was not going to be very soon. It's been now almost 2,000 years. And Jesus knew 
the struggle that his people would experience. He knew how we would have heartaches. He knew how we would have persecutions. He knew how discouraged we would become. He knew how hard it would be to live in this world and follow him. Jesus knew this. And so he gave for his disciples for all the ages this living story. This living story with a timeless lesson regarding the priority of prayer. We ought always to pray. The power of prayer and the incredible promises that will come. Yes, in the midst of discouraging times and to discouraged people. He made these promises. And guess what? Maybe this will encourage you. Jesus especially gave this parable to people to encourage them to pray when the last thing they feel like doing is praying. Can I get a witness to that? All right. Let's just get honest here, even though we are in church, all right? Sometimes we are so discouraged We don't feel like praying. So here is how I'd like us to look at this parable this morning where Jesus said, I want to give you this story to remind you you ought always to pray so you will not be faint-hearted. Let's just do quickly an an expositional examination. We'll look at what this says we we don't want to read into the text we want to pull out from the text right this is we don't be involved in isogesis but exegesis all right but then we want to make some personal applications and that is where we really i think need to take the time this morning so quickly let's just look at verses 2 through 8 for an expositional examination of what Jesus gave in this parable. And then we'll make some personal applications. Now, notice this is a parable. And of course, many of us understand that a parable is an earthly story that has a spiritual meaning. It's not impractical. Spirituality is never impractical. But it is, a, it is a earthly story that teaches a deeper message, a message of life in Christ and in the Spirit, the things of God. Now, most parables of Jesus teach by comparison. Something is like something, okay? The sower goes forth to, see, uh, to sow the seed, and the seed is the Word of God. The seed is like the Word. Most of the parables are comparison but this isn't one of them this is not a parable of comparison this is a parable of contrast it's a parable of contrast and what contrast exists in this parable Jesus told this story for the sake of shock and awe he he told the story for contrast we're going to see that Now, notice he tells this story very intentionally with the most unalike characters. 
the most unlike characters. Look at verses 2 and 3. He said, a certain city, in a certain city where there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, it is hard to imagine two more unalike people. They are completely opposite on the social spectrum. You have here a widow. And understand in that day, in that culture, that often a widow was destitute. Uh, She had no support. She was powerless. And she was without moral support. Here, no one is advocating for this lady. She's she's poor. She's widowed. She's powerless in society. And no one is there for her moral support. And then you have this judge. The judge is despicable. He is powerful. And he is without any moral center. So here you have a woman who is destitute, powerless, without moral support. And the only person that she can go to is despicable, powerful, powerful, and he has no moral center. The widow is personally powerless, and yet, what does she have going for her? (laughs) She is personally powerless, yet she is painfully persistent. (laughs) Painful for the judge. Because this woman, notice, is unrelenting in her request. She's unrelenting in her request. Look at verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. This is continual activity. She kept coming to him and kept on saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now she's crying out for justice. She's crying out for justice against an unnamed adversary. Uh, This this woman is being continually, continually mistreated. And and her rights are being violated. And it's important for you to know this, that in in the land of Israel, this was a terrible crime. As a matter of fact, there was a day in the nation Israel where this was a capital crime to mistreat or abuse a widow. And God warns. He warns with the strongest words in the Bible about mistreating, abusing a widow. But what hope does this woman have? What does she have? She's come to the wrong court and she's standing before the wrong judge. She's come to the most unlikely source for justice. Most unlikely source. Look at verse 4. For a while, he, the judge, refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man. Now let's stop there in his mid-sentence. 
this, this, is, this is pretty bad when the judge admits he's a scoundrel. Okay? Refreshing. <laughs> I mean, he knows he's not just. He's an unjust man. What is the basis of justice? Do you notice what he said about himself? He said, he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. What is the basis of justice? Number one, reverence for God. And number two, respect for human beings. That's where justice comes from. A reverence for God and a respect for human beings who are made in his image. That's the basis of justice. This man has no reverence for God and he has no respect for the rights of individuals as made in God's image. This isn't a place for justice. But this lady has a voice. She has a voice. She doesn't have any Right, she has no support from anyone, but she has a voice and she uses her voice to plead for justice. She pleads for justice and pleads and pleads and pleads and pleads. And the result, there's the most unexpected results. Most unexpected results. Verse 5. Here's the judge. He says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. <laughs> I love this as it's translated in some of our Bibles. I, I, I want her to stop beating me down. And literally the word here that Luke uses is to be beaten black and blue. <laughs> to be beaten black and blue. So that in today's vernacular, it's like this judge is saying, this woman is wearing me out. I surrender. I surrender, petition granted, just leave me alone. Now, that's not quite the basis of justice. <laughs> but she was, she achieved her results. I read recently, true story, of a man who was a rancher. He lived about... 10 miles or so outside little town Powder Bluff, Colorado. And due to a computer error, he started receiving bills asking him to pay for his subscription to the National Geographic. He had never, never subscribed to that magazine. But because of the computer error, he received... 9,734 separate billings in the mail to pay his subscription. 
And finally, one day, he got in his truck, he drove to the nearest post office, he sent a check with a note that said, I give up, send me your magazine. (laughs) This, This is sort of the case here. Yes, persistence is powerful. Persistence is powerful. Now, what is Jesus' application? This is a a story that it's a story of complete contrast. What's Jesus' application here? Well, notice the most unquestionable deliverance. He He uses that illustration to talk about true deliverance. Unquestionable deliverance. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Listen to what he's been saying, this unrighteous judge. Now here comes the contrast. Not the comparison. The contrast. And will not God give justice To his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Here is Jesus using the brilliant tool of orators and rabbis of that day, he's making an argument or a presentation from lesser to greater. If this judge, who does not fear God and has no concern for the rights of individuals, will finally give in to persistent requests, now the greater will not God The author of justice, as he deals with his elect, his own dear children, will he not grant them justice and speedily? And the answer, though it's not given, is of course, absolutely. You see, here is what we need to recognize and receive about this parable. Make sure you see the contrast. Understand what the point, what Jesus is making. Not just about this story, but to your life. My life. It's true right now. It will always be true. What is the point? God is not like this judge. God's not like this. That's Jesus' point. He's your heavenly Father. And He's not like this judge. And you are not like this widow who has no one to advocate for her, no one that cares for her. As a matter of fact, you are the elect. That means you are eternally loved. You are eternally loved by God. And if you're eternally loved by God, listen, that means you're constantly loved. 
If God set his love on you before you were born, he never takes his love off of you during your lifetime or after. To be eternally loved by God is to be constantly loved by God. It is impossible for God to stop loving one of his kids. That's the point. And here's the third. Prayer is not like this courtroom scene. Because God is who he is... And we, by His grace, are who we are. Then prayer is not like us going to a courtroom where there's a judge who doesn't want to hear from us. We're a pain in the neck to him. And he just really wish we'd leave him alone. But the reality, I've thought about prayer like that. How about you? I felt like at times in my prayers, I'm going to a courtroom to a judge who really doesn't want to be bothered with whatever my situation is. He's got bigger things to do, like run everything. (laughs) But here's Jesus' point. Brothers, sisters, hear it. If God thought about you before time, will he ever forget you at any time? See, God loved us before time began. That's what the Bible says. God in his great omniscience and his love loved his people before time began and if he loved us before time began can he forget about us in our lifetime we're his children we're not pawns on a cosmic chessboard we we are not the the just the uncertain result of of chance It's not just forces that are working and in one possibility out of quintillions. Your situation and you might exist. That's taught in schools as evolution. That's science. (laughs) Wow. Thank God. We're not a result. Of those kind of random activities. But a God who plans and ordains all things. Who knows our name. Who has numbered our days. He's numbered the very hairs of our head. And we are precious to him. So precious that he spared not his own son. That is the gospel. And if the gospel doesn't square with so-called science, my friend, you've got to make your choice where you're going to believe. That wasn't in my notes. Just threw that in there. That happens many times. Okay. But. Now, what's God doing right now? He's calling out children all the time. 
and his children are they're, they're experiencing different levels of, of hardship in this broken world. Listen, we live in a broken world, right? It's broken. We're broken. Our minds are broken. And at any time, we're dealing with brokenness within us and around us. But in the midst of this brokenness, God is building something. His new community, His forever family. He's going to make them complete and whole. All this will be gone. When's it going to happen? When God has brought in that last person, that last member of His family. When His family is complete, then here comes the judge. He's coming. And He's going to come suddenly. And He's coming as a judge. And what does the judge bring? Justice. My friend, justice delayed is not justice defrayed. Justice is coming. And justice is in the judge. Now, Jesus calls us to make an unavoidable application. This is the last little thing I want us to see here before we make some personal applications. But there's an unavoidable application here that is overarching the personal applications. Look at verse number 8. He says, I tell you, he will give justice to them, that is his children, his elect. He will do this speedily. Speedily doesn't mean soon. It means when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. Suddenly. Nevertheless, even though... God's children have all of these promises. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, that's what he calls himself, the Messiah, the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now let's be clear here. Jesus is not wondering whether there's going to be any believers on the earth when he comes back. He already knows that. You know, remember when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he needs information. <laughs> He, he gives us insight by asking questions. He knows that there's going to believers. God's never left himself without a witness. And I want us to get off of this crybaby case, which is false if it's in our minds that there's so few of us left on the earth. We are a remnant. My friend, the Bible says there is a multitude that no man can number. There has never been a day in the history of the world when more people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ than right now. Tens of thousands every day. Millions upon millions upon millions of every, every year. Out of every people, every tribe, every tongue. They are coming every day. It cannot be stopped. And even when it's at its darkest. And even when the deepest darkness of the tribulation comes. Out of the tribulation will come evangelism. That a number no man can number. Will be saved. Jesus is on the march. He's expanding His kingdom. And thousands around the world every day are being washed in the blood of the Lamb. And it'll be, it is happening. That's right. Praise the Lord. Now, 
That doesn't make headlines on CNN or MSNBC. Fox News wouldn't understand it. Sorry. But it's happening. It's happening. So the question here is not, are there going to be any Christians when Jesus comes back? No, the question here is personal. This is a a personal question. The, The question is, will we, who are numbered among his people, are we going to be those who lose heart because we will not pray? Jesus' question goes back to the reason he told the story. Verse 1, I'm telling you this story so that you will remember to do something you ought to do. And that is pray so that you will not lose heart. The question is, yes, until I come back, no matter what, Will you determine, will you decide that I will trust my God even if he slays me? I will trust him and I will pray. Now, This morning we need to ask ourselves, in my life, because Jesus reigns, if you're a Christian, he reigns and you're in his kingdom, will we pray? In in light of his return, that he could come at any time, any moment, like that lightning, remember? Chapter 17, will we pray? In, In light of the resources that the Lord says we're not without justice, In light of his absolute resources for us in Christ, for his grace that is greater than all challenges, will we pray? Will I have a faith? Will I believe in the one I cannot see, but my heart knows? Persistent prayer is the key. Persistent prayer is the key. Persistent prayer is the key to personal enjoyment. Here's the application. The shorter Westminster Catechism says this, that what is, what's the purpose of man? The purpose of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper says this, we glorify God by enjoying Him. Forever. How do you glorify God? By enjoying Him. He goes on to say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Now, how does that happen? How do we find personal enjoyment? It's by worship. See, the Father is seeking worshipers, people who will know Him. What did Jesus say? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
What is prayer? Prayer is worship. Before it is anything else, prayer is worship. It is you in the presence of your maker, your king, your redeemer. The one who gave breath to you. The one in whose image you are made. And your spirit is united to his spirit. And friend, when that happens, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. That happens in prayer. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the key to personal enjoyment. <laughs> Some people, their joy meter is the level of their prayer meter. Don't pray. Prayer is the key to personal encouragement. Newsflash, life is hard. <laughs> life is discouraging. Life is depressing. And if you're not careful, sometimes... Your prayers are depressing. Have you ever depressed yourself with your prayer? That's sad. I've done it. I, I just prayed and I feel worse than ever. Why? Because my prayer time turned into a list of all things depressing me. I told God all my problems over and over and over again. And never once did I pause to thank Him for His salvation. To worship Him for who He is. To rejoice that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. To thank God as difficult as it is. It is not as hard as it could be. We need to pray. We need to pray about lots of things. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, I know someone, he's not a very good person, but he wrote a little book called Life-Changing Prayer, okay? <laughs> the author's got problems, but some thoughts about prayer. You'll find it available out here. Shameless plug. <laughs> Prayer's the key to personal enjoyment. Prayer's the key to personal encouragement. Prayer is the key to personal enlightenment. We're not as smart as we think we are. So, let me give you a pop quiz, pop quiz. Sorry, you didn't get, didn't read this. <laughs> pop quiz today. What are the first recorded words of God in the Bible? What are the first recorded words of God in the Bible, okay? Since you didn't prepare, I'll give it to you today. Be ready next week. What did God say? Let there be light. First recorded words of God. God and God alone is the source of light. God spoke out of the darkness. And from Him came light. He is the light. So when we pray, we are praying to the source of light. And what happens when you pray to the source of light? The source of light will give you enlightenment. You, you will see things that you've never seen before. It's like you're... you're, you're your windshield has changed. Why, why did I not see that before? How, how did I not understand this before? Because now you're praying. You're reading the word of enlightenment. The word of God. And you're praying to the God of light. And he's illuminating you. 
That's what God does in prayer. Prayer enlightens us. It brings light to the darkness. It brings light to the darkness within us. Lord, search me and know me. Try my thoughts. See if there's a wicked way in me. Turn the searchlight. Enlighten me, Lord. And now that you've enlightened me in your presence and you've cleansed me, now enlighten me to the world around me. Oh, if we would just be as concerned for light on the world inside of us as we are about light to the world outside of us. He enlightens around us. We become like those people of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar. That's next week's quiz, okay? Issachar said they understood the times to know what Israel ought to do. They understood the times. How did they know what the times were about and what they should do? They knew God. They prayed. He enlightened them. I'm going to give you a link this week in our pulse to an article written by a friend of mine who's on staff of a mission where I serve, ABWE. Incredible insight. He wrote about Afghanistan and our Western culture. It's just a couple of pages. And it says, Afghanistan proves it's Christ or chaos. It's Christ or chaos. My friend, that's the issue. The world is chaos. And all the false gods of the world including the false gods of our own culture, only bring chaos. It's Christ or chaos. Prayer is the key to personal enlightenment, personal encouragement, personal empowerment. Biggest thing today I read about in movies, it seems, is superheroes. (laughs) Movies, books social media groups, even conventions about superheroes with each with their superpower. Well, every believer who comes to the Lord in prayer has superpower. Superpower even over the forces of hell. I'm told by James, the half-brother of Jesus, these words, James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, how do you, you someone said, well, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's not, that's what the Bible says. No, 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 it doesn't say that. You resist the devil and he'll beat your brains out. You submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Satan's not afraid of you, he's afraid of your dad. And your big brother. And the Holy Spirit. We can have superpower over our arch nemesis of Satan. By prayer filled dependence. And then personal resistance. And if you fall. And you don't resist. What do you do? You come back to your power source. The God of heaven and earth. And pray again. Lastly, prayer, persistent prayer, 
is the key to personal engagement. Now, I really want you to listen carefully. What was this widow seeking? Justice, not vengeance. She was seeking justice. What determines justice? Justice is determined by the source of justice, which is the God of justice. God is just. Justice is defined by God. It is defined by God. It's described in His Word. She was praying for justice. Justice is determined by God Himself. God is the measurement of justice. And in prayer, what do we do? We align ourselves by persistent prayer. We align ourselves and allow the Lord to align us again and again and again on what true justice is. And we don't let external forces tell us what justice is. We become people of justice because we are in the presence of the God who is just. And we don't determine justice by any other external force, but by the eternal life and character of God revealed in His will, the Bible. Then we can engage in true justice. Now, brothers and sisters, anything that is a cause of justice aligns with God and aligns with His Word. Any cause that does not align with God and His Word is not just. And anything that is a cause of justice, listen carefully, it aligns with God and that cause of justice is born in prayer and it's sustained in prayer. What is connected here? Prayer, God, justice. Therefore, on the earth, where we have seen social justice, true social justice, it's connected with the God of justice. And people of prayer, it's been born in prayer. The end of slavery in Britain was born in prayer and gave birth in prayer. The end of slavery in the United States came out of prayer and people who knew their God. Child labor reform came out of prayer and people who believed in justice. Women's voting rights came out of prayer. People who knew God and God's justice. Civil rights in America and that cause of civil rights came as a result of prayer and people who knew God and prayed to God. The right to life causes came out of prayer to a God of life and people knew this God and they prayed over what they were involved in. People don't leave houses of prayer and burn their communities down. People don't leave houses of prayer and ransack the capital of the United States. And it is not anything to do with political persuasion. But when we as God's people try to affirm that which has nothing to do with God and His Word, who is just and it is just, we are championing, we are supporting, we are encouraging 
sin. Don't support it. Don't share it on your feeds. Don't say it. If it does not align with God, if it's not born in prayer, supported by prayer, acted out by prayer, it is not justice. Let justice roll down like water. Give yourself to the cause of God and the greatest cause of justice is the great cause of the justice that was worked out on the cross where God's justice was satisfied against a sinner like me. And now he's made me if I will pray to him, a champion of his justice on this earth. we got to pray about this. And so I want you to do this. Would you bow your head right now? This is how we're going to close. Don't close up. Please just bow your heads. I don't know what the Lord has said to you. <laughs> it may be that you heard him talking to you, but uh, you got a little angry at the preacher there at the end. That's okay. Talk to God about the preacher. What do we learn from this story? Where are we in our faith? Now let's, let's stay in this attitude of prayer for ourselves and I've asked a couple of folks who are going to come and pray and right now would you enter into this prayer time and then we'll worship the God of heaven and earth let's pray